This past Monday, we had the funeral service for Alex Akinelem, only 52 years old, died of a stroke. And we just need to continue to pray for Ola. I think the boys are here. They really? Maybe they were here before. Oh, up here? <laughs> yeah. We can pray for Tommy, Damola, and Josh. I wish you could have been here on Monday. It was just a celebration. We had over 120 people. And most of them were from the Nigerian community. And Alex and Ola had built a lot of relationships. And one thing that I heard so many times is that Alex was a real servant. He was a taxi driver. And he was always helping other people out. And that's why I had so many come to his funeral, right? Because people realized the difference that Alex had made in their lives. Then we went out to the funeral or to the cemetery and it was Algonquin Cemetery on Route 31. And there were 40 cars in the processional. 40 cars. I was in the second car. And I looked at my rearview mirror. And all I could see was flashers all the way back until I couldn't see anymore. It was great. We shut down Algonquin and Randall for at least two minutes. Right? Stop the whole place as we're honoring Alex's life. Then we got out to the cemetery, and there were about 50 people, and they had one of those tents up because it was really cold outside. And we got together, and I said, my peace. And then several other people got up, and they were praying and singing Amazing Grace because he lives. And there was just such a tremendous sense of hope that Alex was in the best place and he could be. He was probably dancing with Jesus, right? What a wonderful hope that we have. But that, that was such a great experience to see these Nigerians celebrating what God had done in Alex's life. I bring that up today because we're going to talk about the gospel and the forgiveness that Alex experienced we want to tell everybody about. We're continuing our series on David. Just a quick thing to catch up here. Uh, David, of course, had seen Bathsheba. He lusted after her. Uh, he pursued her, and then he committed adultery with her. And then the next morning, he found out that she was pregnant. He was pregnant. So he tried to cover it up. So he tried to bring Uriah home so he could lay with his wife, and that wouldn't work. Uh, Uriah was too honorable a man. And so he told his general Joab to go out and put Uriah in a place where he would surely die in the battle. And that happened. I'm sure they had a wonderful funeral for Uriah, and then David married Bathsheba. It all worked out in David's mind, right? Nobody knows. Everything looks fine. But the problem was is that, uh, that David had a close relationship with God. And God was speaking to him. Again, one of the amazing things about David's life is that we can read his 
journal are the Psalms. So we look in Psalm 32, 3 through 4, and this gives us an idea of what it means to be unrepentant and for God to be sending you messages. For when I kept silent, David writes, my bones waste away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up just by the heat of the summer. You've been in that position before where you have sinned against God and you just don't want to own it. You don't want to talk about it. You just want to continue as life as normal. But what a loving father does is he disciplines his children who have disobeyed. And so he feels the pressure of God's discipline and, and saying, David, you've got to deal with this. And so we see David in this experience. Maybe this is your experience. I also want to talk to people who have committed some type of sin in their past and they just don't feel forgiven by God. I think we've all been there. Some type of sin we committed and, yeah, God forgave us, but how could He forgive us for this? This is so serious and... And so we just kind of hold on to it and it drains the energy out of our life when God has already forgiven it. Maybe it was an affair, maybe it was an abortion, maybe it was a divorce, maybe it was anything else that again you figure, well, God can't forgive me. But of course He can forgive me. Psalm 52 tells us that failure is not final. Now, good news, failure is not final. That God is a God of the second chance. We're going to talk about confession of sin and some of the things that we can learn from David's experience here in getting right with God. Well, again, we looked at the Psalms. And again, some of the Psalms have descriptors, so we know What's it about? What's, what it is about? A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So Nathan the prophet came. It might have been a year after it happened. We're not sure, but it was a long time. And Nathan told him a very clever story, which you can read about in 2 Samuel 12. And he brought David into a soft place, and then he said, You are the man. You are the guilty one. And David broke down and he asked forgiveness. He was remaining as a king, uh, which was a good thing. But there was a lot of pain to come his way. This is a prayer that we should always be praying in our time with God. Because sometimes we're so clueless about the sin that we're committing in our lives. We just don't see it. The prayer is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. When was the last time you prayed that type of prayer? Not when you just kind of realize, oh, you know, I should confess that. But you say, God, show me. Show me. I'm a sinful, complex person, and I can rationalize things away. Would you please reveal to me what is unpleasing 
and how I'm sinning against you. We look at Psalm 51, starting out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So David starts his writings and he's saying, God, I know who you are. I know what you're like. I've walked with you. So Lord, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Four different verbs, really of affirmation. Because David knew God, and he knew what God was like, and he knew that God would forgive him. Your steadfast love, your abundant mercy. The problem with all of us is that we do not know God well enough. And we've got these ideas about God that we've picked up through childhood, and, and they're wrong. They're wrong. And I tell you what, your Christian life is all what you know about God how you experience God, and hopefully that every day, every week, every month that goes by, you're learning something new about how wonderful God is and how much He loves you and how much He wants, again, to be a part of your life. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. It's very interesting here. He doesn't mention Bathsheba or Uriah or anybody else that he sinned against, which are probably quite a few people. But he says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, in confession, we need to learn how to own. Our sin. Own our sin because we're so good at blaming other people. How many times have you thrown your parents under the bus in order to say, yeah, that's why I did that. That's just the way I grew up. I can't help myself. <laughs> it's tough to be a mom and dad, right? Uh, well, again, yes, certainly your parents' influence uh, puts you in the way, possibly with some temptations. But you made the choice. You made the choice to do it. How many times have you thrown your spouse under the bus? Oh, they're just so irritating. They just don't understand. And that's why I get so angry. It's their fault. No, it's not their fault. Right? It was your decision to sin against them. Or how about your kids? Oh, I'm just so impatient. And I say things I shouldn't, but if you were in my position, you would too. You don't know how I'm just trying to get through every day. I've sinned against God. See, that's where you need to start. Many times we compromise. <laughs> we say, or we compare and say, well, I tell you what. This person struggles with anger, and they're much, much worse. So, you know, I'm doing pretty well here. I'm doing pretty well. We do that all the time, don't we? And that's not the standard. Other people are not the standard. The holy God is the standard. And when we come to confess our sins, 
We come without excuses, without rationalizations. We come to God and say, oh, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. I've been reading or listening uh, to the Bible in one year. I encourage you to pick that up. It's, you can read it. You can listen to it. It's got great commentary. Listening to Leviticus and just all the details that went into, let's say, the dietary law, what they were supposed to eat, what they weren't supposed to eat, and then the ceremonial law, they become unclean if they did this or they did that, and they've got to make sure to be clean before the Lord. And then you have all the other laws in regards to the temple and the tabernacle, and it's, it's just unbelievable. I said, I could never do this. That's the whole point of the law, right? You can't do this. You need Jesus. You need His forgiveness. You need His power. My friends, it, it just helps me, to, as I read those passages, it just helps me to understand the holiness of God. And if you want to appreciate how distasteful sin is to God, you study His holiness. And use Him as a standard. Let's look at the same passage and, and see what David says. For I know my transgressions, my sins, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Four different times, he uses different words for sin. You say, I've sinned. Sin is not really a popular word, is it? Well, I made a mistake. I failed. Uh, whatever. But nobody really wants to call it a sin anymore. You know, we know the great hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Many people do not think about what a wretch is. What is a wretch? A wretch, according to the dictionary, is despicable and contemptible. So every time you sing that song, that's what you're saying about yourself. People don't think much about the words, do they? I mean, we're the only group that gets together on a weekly basis and says, Yeah, we're sinners. We're losers. It's only because of the power and love of Jesus Christ that we can even get through the week. That's not positive affirmation. <laughs> but it's true. It's only when we realize how weak we are we can discover how strong we can be with Jesus Christ. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, you've got to realize that Adam and Eve sinned, and Adam's genes passed down that sinful nature. So when, when a baby is conceived, it's sinful already. It's dead on arrival. Okay? Now, again, we believe in the grace of God toward children, but I just want to tell you how we start out. We start out messed up from the beginning. And no wonder we get ourselves in trouble. Brought forth 
in iniquity. Again, it's just another way of David saying, yeah, I am a sinner. Because we're sinners, we can't have a relationship with a holy God. Do you know what God did, right? He wanted to have a relationship with us. He created us for that purpose. So he made a way that we could reestablish that relationship so that we could be holy as he is holy. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth and die, as we'll be remembering this month? Because we were lost. We were headed toward an eternity without Christ. And he came down, and he was God, and he was man, and he could represent us, and he could die on our behalf He could be our substitute and all the sins of everyone who'd ever lived and ever will of past, present, and future were poured out upon him. David's sin with Bathsheba, David's sin with Uriah was on Jesus Christ and all the other sins. He bore the sin of everyone because God wanted a relationship with us. You see, David was a believer. Same thing in the Old Testament and New Testament. You're saved by your faith, by putting your trust in God. And so all those sins that were, again, brought to the temple and the tabernacle, again, sacrifices were made to foreshadow the ultimate sacrifice found in Jesus Christ. Don't you love it, Psalm 103? As far as the east is from the west, So far does He remove our transgressions from us. Isn't that good news? Oh, that's great news. Wow, I mean, He he removes it. He no longer holds us accountable because of Jesus Christ. And again, for you who are struggling with false guilt, and you're thinking back to a time in your life, something you did, a relationship that you had, and say, You know, I'm second class. I'll never be the greatest for God because I've been marred by sin. Well, of course you've been marred by sin. That's why we need God, right? So my hope is that for some of you, you would understand what true confession is and how complete God's forgiveness is for you. I don't care what you did. I mean, David was a murderer. He had an affair. It goes on and on. But God still forgave him. And you, today, can shelve that guilt. Because Satan continues to use it to discourage you, to tell you that you can't be anything special for God. You can't be used by God because you did that. And you've got to tell Satan, wait a second. Jesus Christ died for that sin. And he forgave me, and I'm free of it, so shut up! Right? No doubt. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's a difference here. This is talking about relational confession. So, when we first come to God as a sinner... And we put our trust in Him and we confess our sins and 
don't depend upon our good works, and we become a Christ follower, at that point, all our sins are forgiven. Christ's work is applied to our life. And so positionally, as God sees us, He sees us as holy. We can't imagine that, but again, He's forgiven all of our sins. Now, we're still engaged in sin, so there's another type of confession. First, salvation confession. Positional confession in terms of who we are in Christ. Then there's relational confession. Uh, Again, like with my boys. Uh, They're all grown now, but there were times as they were growing up that they did not obey me. And, uh, you know, we broke our fellowship with one another. There wasn't that same trust. and I mean, they were, they were in actual rebellion against me. And so I had to, as a father, do whatever I could to help them to see that and then, again, uh, establish that fellowship, that relationship. And so as we go through our Christian life, yes, we are forgiven for all our sins, but it's so important that we regularly come to Christ and ask Him to show us our sins so that we can agree with Him. That's what confession is. I agree that this is a sin. I agree that I have gone against you, God, and I claim your forgiveness, which you already have. But it's important in regards to just like you have a relationship with your spouse or a friend and you know, for whatever reason, you have a, an issue going on. You've got to bring it back together. So as we look at these verses, it's mostly about relational confession. So if you feel far from God, maybe one of the reasons is because you have not truly owned and confessed a sin that you have committed and ask for that to be applied to your life. And again, he's ready to apply it. He's already given it to you. It's just agreeing to it. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Friends, we still have this sinful nature within us. And we have a very evil heart. Right? We do. Aren't you just kind of amazed sometimes the desires you have, the thoughts that you have? What's going on with that? And friends, you never want to forget this because Satan can fool you and he can say, oh, you're doing well as a Christian. You don't have to be, you know, as committed or, you know, spending your time with God. I mean, you've kind of reached a certain level of maturity where you can't fall in a big way. Well, you can. And that's the way most people sin in a significant way is they get comfortable and they think it's not going to happen to me. Well, I tell you what, every day when you wake up, you need to be aware that Satan's after you and you need Jesus. Right? And keep that relationship fresh. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me with wisdom in the secret heart. Uh, Jesus, when he's talking to the woman at the well, talked about that he wants people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's so easy for us as Christ followers to get in the you know, routine and you know, go to church, my group, you know, whatever. But your heart is far from God. This is where God wants to work. In your heart, what's the most important thing to you? How can you honor him in the way that you live? You can't judge a person by behavior. It's only what's going on in their heart. And, of course, 
Only God can see that. He says, purge me with hyssop. That was an herb that they used. Uh, they put blood over it in order to be ceremonially clean. So he applies it here. And I shall be whiter than snow. And you all the snow that we had recently? <laughs> Big flakes. Aren't you glad that snow is white? I mean, what if it was green? Or blue? Or black? We shudder, right? But snow is white, and I really believe that snow is white because that's the way God created it, to remind us of His righteousness, of His purity, of His holiness descending down upon us. You, you need to see yourself that way, friends. If you're a Christ follower, you, you need to understand your positional holiness in God. And that you are as white as snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. What David is asking for here is that I want you to renew me. I've been in this time of rebellion. I've been in this time of not confessing my sin. I haven't been connected with you. But now I want you to work. In a special way, create. Great means, in creation, to bring something out of nothing. And friends, when you've been struggling with a sin, and it's been a long time, and you're just wore down, and, and even when you confess the sin to God, you still feel like you don't have the energy, you know, to get back on your horse and Get back engaged in the Christian life. You feel weak. So what you need to ask God to do is to renew you, to restore you, to create you. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. Just don't count that it's coming. Ask the Lord. I mean, if you've been forgiven and you've confessed and you're still feeling bad about it, you've got to go back to Scripture. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Remember, we talked about Saul and how Saul had the Holy Spirit taken from him because he was rebellious against God. Again, in the Old Testament, only certain people experienced the Holy Spirit. Now, David, in his confession, the one thing he wants to make sure of is that the Holy Spirit would not take advantage, or the Holy Spirit would be taken from him. That, he knew that if the Holy Spirit was taken, life would be meaningless to him in the way he had experienced the Spirit. And the question, I guess, for all of us is, if God took His Spirit from you, would that make even a difference over the last month? Do you listen to the Spirit? Do you let the Spirit show you in Scripture as the Spirit lead you to conviction, friends? We have a guarantee. It's been sealed upon us, the Holy Spirit. It's our guarantee that when we get to heaven, yeah, we are a child of God. But let's, let's use the Holy Spirit. Let's let the Holy Spirit take over our lives. It's just that valuable. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God, my salvation. And my tongue will sing a lot of righteousness. He continues to say, God, my role now is to go out and tell people about your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your love in order that they might understand what it means to have a relationship with God. I want to show you a video here. It's a testimony for a person that was involved in the Rwandan genocide back in 1994. And I want you to notice how he has experienced God's forgiveness. Wow. After butchering a family, if he can say, I feel the forgiveness of God, then you should be able to feel it. And again, if you're struggling with false guilt, if you're just listening to Satan and saying, oh... I can never get over that. I've ruined my life. No! God's a God of second chance. And again, my heart's desire is that you would just get before God this afternoon and take whatever false guilt that's been hanging on you and just let it go. Let it go. And continue to go back to verses about God's forgiveness and how positionally you're righteous with Him. 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, uh, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. We continue to talk about this, friends. Pride is the most common sin. Because every time we decide to go our own way, 
Every time we decide to sin against God, what arrogance, right? What arrogance that we have. Friends, we need to continue to come to Him. We've got our discipleship pathway here. And uh, this is uh, how we encourage people to grow deeper as a disciple. We want you to connect with the family, grow with the family, equip. We're focusing on multiplying as we're moving toward the Easter uh, series. In fact, we have our upcoming services, uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. As you take out the uh, business card in your program, fold it together. But this is what we want to encourage everybody to give out. We have a great series coming up, Fearless, Breaking Free from Fear, Facing Financial Fears, Overcoming the Fear of Rejection, Overcoming the Fear of Failure, and How to Face Your Future. Now, when you give this out to people, the beautiful thing about it is that it's got eight different invitations to different types of services. I've been on a cruise. I've been on a cruise. Yeah. yeah. I was reading yesterday that Carnival is buying 20 new ships in the next five years because the cruise business is going so well. Why did people like cruises so much? Oh, I hear people saying, oh, I love the ports of call, and I love the sun, and I love the people. And I love the pools and the shows, but you've got to be honest. The reason people are going on cruises because it's an eating heaven. You can eat and eat. You get up at 3 in the morning, you can find food, free food on that ship. I mean, what more could we want? Yeah, talk about all the beauty and all that stuff, but it's about the food, right? It's a binging vacation. <laughs> what if I told you that uh, Carnival has communicated with me? And uh, they want for me to give, a, for me to pick somebody to give a cruise away. So like John Pushbrow, one of our elders here. Uh, John, uh, would you know who to give this cruise to? Not your family. It's got to be somebody outside your family. Anybody come to mind? I can pick up somebody. Okay. Very good. Very, they would be excited, right? Absolutely. Who doesn't want to go on a cruise, right? Unless you get sick. <laughs> but, <laughs> friends... We think it's great to give a seven-day experience of food and fun and memories. But what are we talking about? We're talking about a cruise for eternity. A cruise for eternity where people don't have to be separated from God. The gospel is, hey, you can experience God's love and forgiveness. And not only will it impact you in this life as you... Walk with Him, but all into eternity. Why wouldn't we want to tell people about that? And I know there's many reasons, many fears, but I tell you what. I want to encourage us all to take the next step this season. And I want all of you to determine that you're going to share this card with someone. You see, it's great because it's Easter, and everybody's doing something on Easter, right? So they might come out, but, oh, I'm busy. Oh, it's okay. Might come out in the other weeks, right? It's an invitation over a two-month period. And the Holy Spirit, well, that's His job after you give it away. All you have to do is make the invite, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. But if we're going to thrive as a ministry, 
we can't have people sitting out there saying, well, you know, I don't have that gift and uh, that's really uncomfortable. And somebody else, no, somebody else will not do it because you have you have non-Christians in your life that you are put in a relationship with them to tell them about the good news. They're a simple invitation. I'm really calling all of us to step out even more than we have. I mean, if you're really shy, just put them around, okay? Leave them in the bathroom. Leave them other places, right? Somebody will pick them up. That's still doing it, right? <laughs> All right. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, there's so many people in our community who don't know about your forgiveness who are struggling daily with pain and remorse. And Lord, I pray that you would fire us up and that we would give somebody this card and invite them to hear the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.